<clears throat> okay, last night I shared, and you know I've been busy this week, and so I shared, and, and there's something I would like to do, but I didn't quite get it right last night. And so you're forewarned. Uh, but we have been reading the Old Testament, and part of what we're trying to do is, is to catch up with what John told us in chapter 5, I think it's verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life, but they speak of me. This was Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You search the Old Testament, and remember, anytime Jesus talks about the Bible, anytime Paul talked about the Bible, you know, Paul said, you need to read the Old Testament over and over and over, and you need to know it. You know where he said that? He said it to Timothy. He said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth for Paul was the Old Testament. And then when he said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, uh, reproof, uh, something else, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished to all good works. He said the Old Testament is given by the inspiration of God and you've got to study that to know what to do. And Jesus had already said, it talks about me. And then on the road to Emmaus, there were a couple of guys walking along. They didn't understand the resurrection still. And they were kind of concerned about it. And it says that Jesus, as they were walking, opened the Bible up. This is Luke chapter 24. And it says, he explained himself. He explained the Christ throughout the book of Moses and throughout all of the prophets. And so now we come to the book of Mark. And I, I think if, if we can believe what Jesus said, and if we can believe what the different writers of the Gospels said, and if we can understand what Paul was saying, then I think we can come and we can read Mark fresh and new. Yeah? And so I really want to turn you topsy-turvy on your Gospel reading. And I want us to read it with a full understanding, because what we do is... It's so funny, this word gospel has now come to mean the story about Jesus, right? That's not what it meant when they first used the word. When Mark used the word the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he wasn't living in the 20th century saying, we've got this certain kind of book called a gospel, and you go look at it. To him, gospel came out of the vernacular, and it meant something totally different. But later on, Gospel now means to us. You know, I, I, I didn't know this until I was looking this week. The word gospel is an Anglo-Saxon word, and it means God's spell. Gaul, spell, spell being a story, God's story. Now, that's the English word we use, and, and that's what we think it means. But again, coming out of the Septuagint and coming out of uh, the writers, the gospel writers, it was, it was a different meaning to them, right? Gospel didn't mean God's story. It meant the declaration of something. So it just meant the declaration, all right? And we'll talk about that in just a second. So what I'm saying is this. We're going to read the New Testament, not with our understanding of what the gospel is, but we're going to read it as someone who knows the Old Testament thoroughly 
And now Jesus is going to explain himself from the Old Testament. Jesus is going to go back and he's going to interpret the scriptures in light of who he is. Does that make sense? So it's really hard, and I'm not exactly sure how to do it. So I'm going to give it a shot again this morning. And so we'll start. And do your best to listen well and, and make good points for yourself, all right? So we're just going to start in the beginning, and we're going to work through it as far as we can this morning. And then the next three times we get together, I'm just going to choose a topic and talk out of Mark. And we're going to practice this, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, <clears throat> at breakfast this morning, I was... Uh, talking to the guys, and one of them said, all right, so I got judges in my mind, and I'm trying to see where it shows up in the book of Mark. And I told him, that's the wrong way to do it. You don't take a part of the Old Testament and try to read it into the New Testament. You read the New Testament, and you discover what the writer has brought in. Does that make a difference? Does that you understand? So you should read along and you should say, aha, this looks like that. Now, if you were doing a study of the use of the book of Judges in the New Testament, yes, you would get Judges in your mind and you would read through everything and you would see where it shows up. But the way we want to read the gospel is just as soon as we see something that reminds us of something in the Old Testament, we say, aha, he's bringing all of that language into it. Does that make sense? So we're going to start, we're going to go kind of slow and do it in a couple of places. And hopefully, it will maybe even reframe the way you look at the ministry of Christ and what he was really doing. Because again, whatever you have decided theologically the gospel is, you lay that back on what the writer was saying. And so the way we get past all of the the different theologies that have been laid on top of the Bible is we go back and we look at specifically what the Bible was saying. And we have a deeper understanding because we have a vocabulary, uh, we have a history, we have a culture that we're coming out of, and we understand it in light of that. Are you getting bored yet? Okay. So I'm going to go real slow, and if you have a question, and again, this is like Sunday school, and again, I'm glad there's no visitors this morning because this this is not your typical sermon, because I always give typical sermons. Uh, And uh, and so so we can work together, okay? So let's start. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay? Most of us, because we've read so many little stories, once upon a time, blah, 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 the end. Well, this in the beginning, I think a lot of people, when they, I don't know why, but when they say, see the beginning, they think, oh, okay. This is the opening of the story. Okay, that may be true. But I think this is an introduction possibly to the whole 16 chapters. Because Mark is writing this book. We call it a gospel. He's writing this history of the life of Christ some years after Christ has already ascended into heaven. And he's talking to a church and he's saying, we're involved in a work here. We're doing something. Let me go back and tell you the beginning of this work. And the beginning of this work is this history of Christ. So it's the history of Christ that's the beginning of who we are and what we're doing. It's not just the beginning of Jesus in the earth. The whole life of Jesus is the beginning 
That's where we as the church got our beginning, is the life of Christ. Do you understand the difference? No? Great. I'm glad you said no. Okay, so there's two ways to look at beginning. It's, it, it's easy to say, well, the first thing Jesus did in the beginning was he was born. That's one way to look at the beginning, right? Um, oh, here's a good way to look at it. The beginning of the United States of America was the Revolutionary War. It began in 1776, and it ended in 1781... Treaties were signed in 82 and 83, and that is the beginning of America. It describes 10 years, right? America began because of a declaration of independence, a war, and a victory. That was the beginning now of this nation. And so I think Mark is saying, okay, we are the church. The beginning of the church was in the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to tell you where this all came from. Does that, does that clarify it? No, not really? I know it's a hard concept, and that's why I had trouble last night, because it was, you know, it, I, I couldn't stop. Does anybody else not get it? Raise your hand if you don't get it. You're saying that Nope. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, all right, we're a church, right? Where did we get our beginning? 33 years of Christ. And I'm going to tell you about those 33 years. The beginning of the gospel of Christ. Now, what you said is true, but that's not what I'm saying. And I'm glad you piped up because there might have been other people that had that same idea. So you see what I'm... Does that make sense? There are 33 years that something happened. Who we are today is because of those 33 years. Okay? The beginning of the gospel. The declaration that we're making today, it can happen because Christ was born, lived, ministered, and died. This is our beginning. The life of Christ. The 33 years that he was here was the gospel, the, the, the declaration, Okay? Feel free to yawn if you'd like. It's, it's no problem. Right. Does that get you closer? Yes. What's the, other side of it? the one that I said it may not be. Well, if, if a lot of people, when they start a story with in the beginning, they think this one fact, you know, Jesus got baptized is the beginning. But that is a beginning, but it's not the whole beginning. The beginning we're talking about is the whole story of Christ. That's where the kingdom of God gets instituted. It's in the whole life. Okay? So you might even change it to this. This is the story of the life of Christ, which is the foundation of what we do today. Does that make sense? All right. So, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me read some verses that use the word gospel. First um, Samuel thirty one eight through ten. First Samuel thirty one eight through ten, and it came to pass on the morning that when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head, 
stripped off his armor, and sent into the land of the Philistines roundabout to publish it in the house of their idols. To publish it. That's the same word, gospel. It's in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation. Of course, you know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But if you were to write it in Greek, you would find out that it's the same word. To publish it, to make this declaration. Okay? And that word, gospel, okay? That word gospel means this. It means that when there has been a military victory, the death of the enemy, you send a messenger. And the messenger goes and gives the evangel, or what we would call the good news. Okay? So, they found that Saul, the king of Israel, had been killed. And so they send these evangels, evangelists, into all of the realm of the Philistines to publish it. That is, to evangelize it, to make this declaration. And when the guy shows up, he holds his right hand up and he says, Rejoice! We have the victory! And that's what the word gospel means. A messenger, an evangelist, not necessarily about Jesus, but they continually used this messenger this evangelist. See, we've got it all Christianized. And so it becomes something sort of holy schmoly mystical. But it was a guy who walked up and said, man, they dropped the bomb and Japan surrendered. We got the victory. Rejoice. And then there were all kinds of things. When the official evangelist came and made the declaration, they put a garland around Uh, They decorated his spear. They put a garland on everybody's head. And they went and made offerings. And they rejoiced. Why? Because Saul was dead. And now the Philistines had free reign. And so he's saying, this is the beginning of the declaration of Jesus Christ. This is the beginning. Hey, let me tell you, rejoice. We have the victory. And this is how it all began. Yeah? Now, let me, let me share this about the Word. Just about, uh, and, and I'm making this a lot shorter than it was last night, but about this word, um, evangel. All right? It's actually uh, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N. Euanglion, something like that. Is that close? Is that close, Doc? Okay. Good, I got it. Yes. One victory today. Rejoice. Uh, and, and so it meant exactly what I told you. But now, in the Old Testament, it also is used in the prophets. Okay. Let me read a verse out of Isaiah to you. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. Or in the ESV it says good news. It's the same word to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so the word begins to be used by the prophets to declare God coming into the earth and setting the captives free. 
Does that make sense? So, just in daily life, when there were wars, the evangel would show up, make the evangelist would show up, make the declaration. But now as we get toward the end of the kingdom, and the prophets are making the declaration, they're giving you this indication that God himself is going to come into the earth. And there's a portion of scripture that I read last night that, that, that God says, I looked and there was no one to do it, so I came and did it by my own strong arm. And so the prophets are giving us this indication that, that God himself is going to come and win the war. And there's going to be this declaration, victory, right? You with me? Am I losing anybody yet? Speak up if I do, because I confuse myself. And if you stop me in the moment, I might unconfuse myself and feel better about the whole thing. All right. So he says, the beginning of the good news, the gospel, this declaration of victory, rejoice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning. As it is written... In Isaiah the prophet, if you're reading the ESV, but the King James says, just prophets, right? Okay, so let's see what it says. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who, who, before my face who will prepare... Is it my face or your face? Before your face who will prepare your way. Okay, so you've got Mark. He's Jewish. He's steeped in the Old Testament. It's deep inside of him. Okay? And now he's thinking, I'm going to talk about the beginning. This thing that we experience today, it had a beginning in the life of Christ. Where do I begin? Let me dip back into the prophets and see what they say. Okay? Did anybody look up to see where that comes from? If you're reading ESV, it says Isaiah. But surprise, it comes from Malachi. So flip over to Malachi. Chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Malachi, chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Look at Mark. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. Malachi 3. Just the first line. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Got it? Almost the same thing, right? And so Mark says, I want to tell you how this all began. Let me dip back and show you. And Perry, now we're getting to where you were going. This was always going on. I will send a messenger before you to prepare your way. And of course, who's the messenger? 
John the Baptist, okay? <clears throat> all, right, all right, stick with that thought. Keep it in your head. So in the Old Testament, it says, I am going to send someone to prepare the way for the deliverer, right? And so Mark says, how do I start this story? Well, all along, they were saying somebody would come along that would tell us this is the Messiah. This is the one. Okay? And that was in the book of Malachi. Now, you've got to listen hard. Listen real hard. The fact that he goes back to the book of Malachi shows you that he's living with an understanding of the last book of the Bible, which is what? Malachi. Although it wasn't put in that order when Mark was writing, <clears throat> he had Malachi in mind. You've got to understand the book of Malachi to understand what he's saying about this beginning of the ministry of the Redeemer who comes and delivers us and gives us the victory. He's going to send a messenger. <clears throat> but do you know much about the book of Malachi? Let me, let me just flip over there, and I'll read to you some of the headings in Malachi. It begins with the Lord's love for Israel. And then it says, the priests pollute the offerings. The Lord rebukes the priests. Judah profanes the covenant. And then I'm going to send my messenger. Bad, bad, bad. I'm going to send my messenger. And then this verse we read that he quotes, look at the rest of the verse. So see, when he threw that out there, <clears throat> people who knew their Bible would know, oh, Malachi said a messenger is going to come before Jesus and they would know everything that was going on there. So listen, uh, three... Let me start up in 4, okay? Verse or 2, verse 17, and then I'll read and I'll get to, to Malachi chapter 3, 1. All right, let me stop. You got you to gotta do this with me. So in Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book of the Old Testament, the first verse. Mark wants to give us an understanding of the beginning of the gospel. And he says, the prophet said, and he gives this first line, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Okay, you got that? That was the Old Testament saying this is going to happen. But now, let's look at what's going on when Malachi says this, all right? So let's go back up a couple of verses to chapter 2, verse 17. You see 2.17? I know this is laborious and it's work. All right, but in 17, look what it says. <clears throat> you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Sounds like a modern gospel to me. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Complaining about what God's doing. If God was God, he would do X, Y, or Z. And then the prophet Malachi says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Okay? 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. We're going to read about the temple and Jesus coming to the temple. Remember what happens there? He gets mad because what have they done? The priests have turned it into a place of profit. Not P-R-O-P-H-E-T, but P-R-O-F-I-T, you know. Profit for their pocket, not prophesying the Lord. Okay, so just so you're sticking with me, I know I'm being real slow, but, but I'm slow. So 3-1 is what Mark declares as, the, as, as, as what's going on at the coming of the Messiah. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. The way they purify silver is they heat it up. All the dross comes to the top. They scrape it off. Jesus is going to come and heat you up and scrape the dross off the top. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. So you've got to get that inside of you. Over in one of the other Gospels, he says, He will come and He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Okay? That's exactly what Mark is saying here. He goes back and he says, God is going to send a messenger in the context of a people who have defiled the house of God, the beginning of the good news is that a messenger is going to come and tell you, Messiah is coming, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You see, he says all that to a people who know the Old Testament. But to us, the beginning of the gospel is this. Oh, this is the story where Jesus forgives everybody. No, this is the story where The Holy Spirit, through John, comes and says, Listen, you are offering to God defective offerings. You have defied the covenant of God, and you need to repent. And you need to turn from your sins. And let Jesus come in and purify you and work in your life. And we're going to see this theme all the way through. Okay? Is everybody with me so far? Pretty pretty much? Okay, now let's go to the rest of this verse uh, back in Mark. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, okay? So, Mark, you, you know how when people are talking and they'll say, say stuff that you don't understand? A lot of people, when they first come to, to, to an LCF church or a CF church, people say stuff and they're like, what does that mean? And what's going on? 
Well, they have a common way of talking. They, they have something that means something, and you don't know what that something means. Well, see, Mark talks with a bunch of somethings from the Old Testament. And so if we go back and understand those somethings, then wow, what he's saying really means a lot to us. Let me say this. This is a slow and arduous process. That's why Jesus said, search the scriptures and you're going to find me. But you really got to work at it. And it's fine if you don't get the whole thing before you die. I don't think anybody will. But it's always nice to find one thing. And if you have to work and work and work to get one thing. I remember when I first started looking at those little ABCs in the New Testament. You know what those are? They're cross-references. And more than likely, in your Bible, you have a cross-reference to Malachi 3 and Isaiah chapter 40 in this, this little prophecy. And so a lot of the work's already done for you if you want to do it. So don't freak out about getting it all. Just stop in one place and work until you get one thing. And then move on. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about the manna. The manna came down, and you could only gather enough for one day. You remember that story? Raise your hand if you remember that story. It says that he that gathered much, do you know what it says? Did not gather too much. But it also says he that gathered little had enough. And so don't feel bad if it takes you a long time to get one thing. All right? Okay. So let's go to Isaiah then. We've already done Malachi. Let's go to Isaiah. Nasser, is this clearer today? Is it, is it better today than it was yesterday? Yes. Okay. You know what would make it a lot better? If Anna would bring me a cup of coffee. <laughs> it would be more animated and exciting. Thanks. I'm really glad there's not a lot of visitors today because I wanted to go slow and, and to stop when we need to. And, uh, and really, anybody who wants to stop and say, help me here... Um, We'll like let Dr. Ken help you. All right. All right, let's... Are you at Isaiah chapter 40? You got it? Are you with me, Amelia? Huh? A little bit? Am I losing you? You're like the best student. Yeah. I, I mean, you got Mason beat hands down here. I'll take... He's like his dad. He always misses the point. And come to find out he was right, and I, I come to that point later on. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. The war's over. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark says, here's the beginning. Christ came in response to this prophetic word of Isaiah. Tell everybody the battle's over. The victory's won. Rejoice. Every valley shall be filled in. And every mountain shall be brought down. Hallelujah. Your sins have been double paid for. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strengths. This finishes up. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, hallelujah. It began when Jesus came in response to that prophecy. He was the one who came and won the victory for us. Nice, huh? Isn't it nice? So he goes back to two places. He goes back to Malachi where they're a mess. But he goes back to Isaiah where... Now, if stick with me. Just, just believe me on this one. And you can, we'll study it when we get there. But the book of Isaiah makes a, an, an abrupt change at chapter 40. Up to chapter 40... He's upbraiding Israel for all of their stupidity. You get things like, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. You get stuff like, I planted a vineyard. And I expected to get grapes, and I got sour grapes. It goes on and on and on and on. And then chapter 40 comes. Prepare a place in the wilderness. Tell Israel your sins have been paid for double. Life is going to get right. And so Isaiah understands where Israel is, but he projects into a day when God himself comes down and changes everything. But Malachi reminds us that as he comes down to make everything right, he's also going to refine his people and he's going to purify his house. And so basically, Mark says, the whole thing begins with this. God understands man. And mankind failed, did well until he did well, and then he failed. Until he did well, and then he fell. Over and over and over. But there is a final day when God himself is going to come down. And like like the kings delivered Israel from enemies... Now, God himself is going to come down and deliver us from the great enemy, Satan himself, and defeat him and his authority over our life. And we can rejoice because we have a victory. And we can be the fulfillment of what God intended from the very beginning. Why? Because, good news, Christ has come and he has paid for our sins. And now we have a straight way to be able to live this life. Yeah? Okay. All right. Now, there's a third thing that I would like to point out about this this portion on the prophecies. Okay? And it has to do with this portion in Malachi. Now, don't don't get confused. I don't do well with languages. I, I am horrible at languages. I'm pretty bad at English. You try to teach me a, another language, and it's just totally confusing to me. 
I've got friends. I, I took a Greek course. And the only thing I know about Greek is you spell it G-R-E-I-K. Uh, and I'm serious. And so I am very slow at this kind of building of vocabulary and seeing it in the New Testament. But boy, it just blesses me so much when I see the depth of the Word of God. So it's worth the work that I put in, okay? And it'll be worth the work for you, even if it, if it hurts. Right? But this one is even a little more nuanced. Let me read you a verse um, out of Exodus 23.20. Exodus 23.20. Genesis, Exodus 23.20. This straw in here, Anna, reminds me of a, uh, of a joke when I was about your age in grade school. Doctor, doctor, I get a, I, my eye hurts every time I drink. Well, take the straw out of the cup. <laughs> All right, Exodus 23, 20. That had nothing to do. Please, please don't try to, please don't try to work that into what Mark was saying. Uh, 23, 20. And Father, I, I want to ask that as we come, that you would really relieve us of the vocabulary that we've imposed upon your word. And God, that we would come to it new and fresh. And uh, that we wouldn't bring religion. That we wouldn't be pharisaical. That we wouldn't shape your word to accommodate our desires. Uh, but that you would come like a refiner and refine us. Uh, and, and refine your church and make us your people. Okay, we've done Malachi. And it's more, when he comes, he's going to refine. Who can stand when he comes? Then we've done Isaiah preach the good news. Because he has given final victory. And then, let's come up, come back to Malachi. All right, let me read Exodus 23.20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Now, this is God speaking to Moses. Everybody remembers this. God spoke to Moses and he said, I will send an angel before you to take you to the place I have prepared for you, right? Okay. So listen real close. Remember the verse from Malachi? Actually, what Mark quotes, if you take just the words and look at them, it is closer to this thing in Exodus. So Mark, when he read Malachi, understood Malachi the prophet was prophesying to the people about an exodus, really. It was the new exodus. But now, all right, see if you can follow this. Okay, so here we're talking about the gospel. And we're saying we understand this because we know what the prophets were saying, right? You with me? Now I'm telling you, the prophets, the language they used, came from what happened before them. See, so Malachi is right here and he's saying, God is going to send a messenger before you. You know, when he was prophesying that 
he was remembering that God came to Moses and said, I am going to send an angel before you, right? Well, now Mark, all the way over here, he remembers what Malachi said. He says, this is what the prophet said. But he knows the Bible so well that he understands when Malachi was talking, he was thinking about the Exodus. And he actually uses the words that God spoke to Moses back in the Exodus. And so what's Mark doing? You'll see this in just a second. He's saying, the prophets spoke to us about the coming of Christ, and they understood that it was going to be like the Exodus. That you can look back and you can see when God led them out, he sent an angel before them, a messenger before Moses. In the same way, God is going to lead us out. And he's going to send an angel before our Moses, Jesus. And so he's bringing to our minds the whole idea of Exodus. This thing prophesied by the prophets is like the Exodus when God led them out of Israel. Does that make sense? You with me? Wow. Early church fathers understood this about Exodus. Um, And they would draw everyone's attention to this fact. So we're not getting very far, are we? But isn't that nice? The beginning of our... Yes, Doug. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's it. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? Let's stop for a second. Any questions or thoughts? I'm going real slow this week because we're going to, I'm just going to do a theme the next two or three weeks. But I want you to know what I'm doing. And I want you to maybe stop and do it with a verse. But don't kill yourself. Now, let me, let me stop and say this. Parenthetically. Do you realize you've got a lot of Bible study left to do for the rest of your life? I have not even begun to study the Bible. You know, you can stop at one verse and you can spend all day going back and seeing the background to it. And those little letters on the side, they're called cross-references, they'll really help you. This is fun to do if you're not worried about it. Uh, I'll spend a couple of hours and not figure out a single thing. And that's okay. It's like getting to know somebody in the Word. Okay. Well, so... So it brings to mind this deliverance. The prophets prophesied where it's, they switch it. The gospel is now not so much a king winning a battle, but is now God himself winning the battle. And in the winning of that battle, he destroys everything. See, the gospel is not necessarily good news for everybody. I chose that verse that talked about the good news in the Old Testament. And what was the good news? Saul's dead, and now the Philistines are free. That was not good news to the the people of Israel. And so the good news has come. The gospel has come. The declaration of the victor, who is Christ, has come. What does that mean to you? Who can stand the day of the Lord? Hello. 
And so this theme is going to go all the way through. You're going to see that this theme of, all right, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? Let me give you a quick example. Chapter 10, you'll get to the story of this young rich guy, a young rich ruler. The victor is going to come. The kingdom is going to come into his life. The kingdom of God is here. Young man runs, catches him and says, oh, great. What do I need to do to enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, you know, honor your mother and father. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't covet. Don't lie. And the young man says, great. I've kept all of these ever since I was a little boy. But the kingdom coming says, oh, there is one more thing. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. The kingdom has come. Judgment has come. Who can stand? Well, the disciples, it says they straightway left their nets. But this young man, it shows us a different side of it. The good news, the victor has come. Saul is dead. Oh, my. And when the kingdom comes into this life, he says, I can't do it. He says that he leaves, and he's very sorrowful. Why? Because he had much stuff. And so the victor has come, and the kingdom has come. And the people who are willing to lay down everything, we're now set free. Hallelujah. We can freely give our lives like our Savior will give His because the kingdom has come and set us free to do that. But you'll find that the Pharisees don't want to do that. And you'll find that this rich young ruler cannot find his way to repent and enter into this death so he can experience life. See, the only way you can experience resurrection life every day is if you get up every morning and you choose to live the crucified life. Resurrection life only occurs after the crucifixion. So we partake of the body and blood and we participate in death to this world. And we can freely give until it hurts. Why? Because my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in heaven. But it's hard to believe that. And you're going to find that's another thing. Faith. To be able to enter the battle in this victorious last crusade. So, let's... uh, We got about ten minutes, so... We understand the context. It's still the context of mankind at all time. We understand that it's like an exodus. Now let's start reading and see if you notice anything yourself. Mark, let's go to the next, uh, Matthew, Mark, the next few verses. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. Now, who is John? He is the messenger that's sent to make the declaration. He's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair 
and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. What do you see there? Why does he say he wears camel's hair and a leather belt? Who said it? Elijah. Just write this down. I'm going to tell it to you. We'll go through this pretty quick. Write this down. Over in the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Elijah. And in 2 Kings 1.8, you find out what he wore. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So what is Mark saying? Mark is saying, this is John the Baptist. He is the messenger that Malachi mentioned. And he is the spirit of Elijah. Over in Matthew, he says it a different way. It's in chapter 11, 11 through 15. And this is what he says. He says, I say to you among those born of women, there is none risen, one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. John the Baptist came. Declaring Jesus. The kingdom has come, and now we forcefully are seeing rejoice. The victory is ours. We engage the battle because, in a sense, it's already done, but we have to walk in the completion of it. But then he says, and if you're willing to receive it, he, that's John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. So if you can hear it, John the Baptist was in the spirit of Elijah. That's what Matthew tells us. But notice how Mark does it. See what I mean? Huh? Huh? See what I mean? I mean, that's kind of what Mark's doing. John the Baptist came, and he was wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He was telling you that it was Elijah. Are you with me? You see that? This is going on throughout the New Testament. And so it is worth our time to read the Old Testament and get it deep in us so we can see these things. But if we can't see them, if you'll read those little letters, the ABCs that tell you there's a cross-reference, you can go see and it's like, wow. Okay, another parenthetical. One of the big problems is believing that there is a God. And second to that is that Jesus was God. This is hard. Everybody close your eyes. Don't anybody look around. How many of you all sometimes have a problem believing that God even exists? Raise your hand. 732 people raised their hand. All right, you can put them down. That's almost everybody. This book is about people who find it hard to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And you're going to see that struggle all the way through. And it's going to help you if you realize this isn't just... This is the gospel. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Little Jesus had a drummer. 
and gold on his head. I'm getting gifts for Christmas this year, and I hope you do too. And I hope that there's sugar plums dancing in your head. Hallelujah, Jesus has come. La, 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 la. It's a nice story, but most people don't really believe it. And this book is about a people who found it hard to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And if you'll keep that in mind and you'll look at their difficulty and how Jesus tries to help them and the final truth. And a big part of what Mark does is just, look, man, for hundreds of years they've been saying this, 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 and this. Now look what happened. A guy shows up wearing camel hair and a leather belt and he declares that the one coming after him is going to Baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Come on. All right. Another thing that that makes this even more powerful. Go back to Malachi. Which you don't have to go far. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Just trust me. You can go home and look it up. Behold... Now, this is, these are the very last uh, two verses in the Bible, the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The very last thing in the Old Testament, it says, I'm going to send you Elijah. And he's going to come right before the Lord shows up. Hello. Matthew says this was Elijah. All Mark says, well, this guy was wearing a leather belt. Get it, huh? Get it? See? This is the gospel. All right, now what have we said so far? The beginning of this great victory that we are delivered from the things that hold us into bondage started a long time ago with a God who understood mankind and understood that when he showed up, mankind would still need to be refined. But he would win the victory because nobody else could. And before that happened, he would send a guy to prepare those early people. And he would come in the spirit of Elijah. All right, let's keep going. Mark. Now, we said three things. Isaiah, Malachi, and Exodus, right? Mark brings those stories back to our mind and says, what's happening now has its roots in those other stories, you know. This would be like me saying, our pursuit of freedom and Second Amendment rights has our foundation all the way back in the Magna Carta, which became the foundation for our Constitution, which was written after the Revolutionary War. And today, drawing on all the history of an understanding of liberty and freedom, now today I can say... 
our First Amendment rights, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Mark is saying, all the way back to Moses, and all the way through the prophets, I can tell you that there is a great victory, and it's in this Jesus, who is the Son of God. Okay? Now let's keep going. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Got that? Let's go back to Isaiah. And let's look at chapter 64. All right, in chapter 63, he's talking about everybody's gone crazy. Nobody's really uh, following God. Israel's saying, Lord, how long shall our enemies rule over us? Verse 19 of 63 says, we are yours. You never ruled over them. They were not called by your name. And then look at verse 64 in the midst of this. What does it say? Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. That you would rend the heavens, that you would tear the heavens open and come down. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And then spirit descending like a dove. Oh God, rip the heavens open and come down. Whoosh. Whoosh. This is my son. And God has rent the heavens and come down. Later on, you're going to see that when Christ is crucified, that the curtain of the temple is rent in two. Same word. This same word. Rend the heavens. The heavens opened and the curtain was torn. All signifying this cry. Oh God, you come down and do it. And so again, Mark is telling us that God is coming down in the person of Jesus Christ. And everything surrounded in Isaiah 64 that that rending of the heaven cries out for, it happens in Jesus Christ. All right. Then what happens? The Spirit immediately, verse 12, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Get it? What happened to Moses? before he led the children of Israel out of bondage. He was driven into the wilderness until he had dealt with everything in him that smacked of Egypt. Now our heavenly Moses, Jesus, goes into the wilderness and he is challenged with every single temptation Over in uh, Corinthians, 
where it talks about we learn from the Old Testament. It says, There is no temptation that is taking you but such as is common to man, and with every temptation a way of escape. In Hebrews it says, We do not have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted like us. Hallelujah. And so we begin to see that Exodus story playing out. And you can lay every temptation, every wilderness temptation that we read about in the book of Exodus and Numbers. Jesus faced all of that and he did not fail. And then we're told in Hebrews, we look to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus, who did that. And he's brought a kingdom that will allow us to live a life free from succumbing to the temptations. He will make us a way of escape. And it's going to come through this victorious beginning of the gospel in Christ. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Hallelujah. So my hope is that two or three things happen this morning. One, that your faith is increased because you see that what Mark talks about is the fulfillment of a long history that has implications of the coming Christ. And that when Christ comes, he fulfills all of that. And so I hope, one, that it brings faith that Christ is the Son of God. But second of all, that you understand all of the momentary victory in the Old Testament that we see, we now have that as an eternal victory in Christ. Why? Good news. Rejoice. Rejoice. What we're a part of is a battle that has already been won. And now we just engage it. We engage it. And we find deliverance from everything that would hold us into bondage to the stupidity that came as a result of, first of all, Adam and Eve. But second of all, by our own choices and coming into agreement with them instead of this king. Hallelujah. Christ has come. Amen. Okay. Next week, I'll just do a regular sermon. But you understand where I'm coming from now. When, when I, I'll, I'll go through it. But, uh, but this, is the way, this is the way you bring those into the New Testament. Hallelujah. Any thoughts before we close? Paul, why don't you come up? It'd be nice to close with a song. Any thoughts? There should be lots of thoughts.